All right, wonderful worship, everyone. We hope that you were able to be encouraged and really feel that you are meeting with God during this time. Uh, again, we are so happy and so overjoyed that you're able to join us during our streaming services. And uh, as we come out of our Easter service, what we want to do is continue the series that we began last week talking about things that would really help you, not only during this time of shelter in place or the lockdown, but also throughout your lifetime in your pursuit of God, in your pursuit of life, and the pursuit of His purposes for you. And so today we're going to continue part two of our True Contentment series, but this message is going to be called True Contentment in the Hustle. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. And God, we're praying that through your word, you would help us to reorient our thinking towards you. Help us to understand you, your nature, and faith in you clearly, that we might have an awesome, growing dynamic in our relationship with you and also your work in us, the purposes of God through us, and also the fruitfulness that results from it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So today we're going to talk about faith, um, true contentment in the hustle um, because sometimes people figure contentment to mean passivity. Have you ever thought about that before? Sometimes people think if I'm content, then somehow I'm passive in regard to my circumstances and situation. But what we want to do today is allow the Bible to redefine that misunderstanding. When we think about hustle, I know people think about many uh, explanations for the term, but when we think about hustle, we can think of today about an athlete giving their all on a court or the field. And what we mean by hustle today is faith in action leading to contentment. So our focus today is going to be this, that true contentment comes when you mix faith with hustle. We want you to understand Jesus, his kingdom and the life of God. And during this time of the shelter in place and the spread of the pandemic, we need to ask ourselves this question. What can I do during this time as I wait for things to change? And the answer is I can find faith or I can find rather contentment in the hustle. So today we're going to talk about that in three parts. We're going to discuss when faith meets hustle. Number two, contentment in the hustle. And then finally, we're going to finish with hustle in the kingdom of God. Let's start with when faith meets hustle. If uh, you were with us last week, we started by talking through the life and ministry of a man named Elisha, who was an Israeli prophet who lived about 800 plus years before Jesus showed up on the scene. But during his time, he was showing us how to have faith in God's miraculous power and his provision in the midst of turbulent times. And so we're picking up with another story like this today in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. If you would read this along with me, it says this, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, and before we go any further, I just want to explain that the sons of the prophets were basically ministers in training. 
They were the people who were hearing the voice of God and being trained in how to minister the truth and the word of God to the community around them as a representative of God. And Elisha was part of that school helping to train them. So they came to him. Um, this woman who was the wife of one of the sons of the prophets came to Elisha and she said, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elijah said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Now, this is a powerfully encouraging scripture when we begin to unpack it. And what we notice about the life of Elisha is that there were continual miracles in the midst of turmoil when the people sought the God of Israel. The truth of the matter is it will be the same for us today. Contentment with hustle needs to be understood as a pairing that brings a strength that God Almighty wants in all of us. True contentment, if we're to really define it though, is to be understood as what it is and what it's not. What it is is hustle in the midst of trusting God for the outcome. What it is not is waiting for God to do everything. True contentment is literally in the hustle. And true contentment does not mean that we can live with a lack of effort. Nor does receiving the grace of God mean that you don't have to do anything for the miracle of God to occur in your life. The power of resurrection life in Jesus is that the righteous rise from death in the midst of tragedy. That's the, that's the whole gospel, is it not? That in the midst of the great tragedy that Jesus Christ, the only innocent one, went to the cross on behalf of our sins. The great victory was on the other side of the tragedy that God Almighty performed a miracle, raised him from the dead after three days, and gave supernatural new life to us. What we know is that this woman's story in this passage of her interaction with Elijah, her story started in tragedy. She had lost her husband, a man of God. And if you ever think that just because you're a Christian, it means that tragedy won't come your way, we see in the Bible over and over again that this just isn't true, that the hope is not just in this life, it's in the life to come. And we see that this woman in her lifetime had lost her husband, a man of God, and was left all alone with two children who were under the threat of being conscripted into slavery. 
In tragedy, though, she learned the lesson that we need to learn. That in tragedy, we need to make our moves towards God. Elijah asked the question of what he could do for the woman when she first makes a request of him as a proxy for God to whom the woman was actually looking for help. She went because she believed that he could actually do something about her situation. And that's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Do we believe that in tragedy that God himself couldn't do something about our situations? We in the same way must make an approach towards God for help, not just wish something were different. This is a picture of prayer. This literally is faith. Why do I say that? Because the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and then also in 6, it's a familiar passage to many of you, but I, I want to communicate it to really drive the point home today. The scripture says that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their um, commendation. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, meaning God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So meaning that God will release his miracle power when we seek him, not when we just hope that something will be different. When we approach God, he'll always start that miracle with what we have. This is true even when the woman thought little of the oil that she had to work with. Have you ever been in a place of need before and said, I wish God would intervene on my behalf, but I really have nothing for him to work with? And you diminished what he actually placed in your hands? Well, that's what this woman was doing in this passage. She said, all I have is a little oil in my house. And the prophet Elisha said, wonderful, I'll take that. I'll take that and God can use that to help you and perform a miracle. And the miracle starts with what you have, not what you don't have. See, that's the thing about it. When everybody's looking for their situation to change, but they're many times paralyzed in any type of forward movement because they said, they think to themselves, if only I had something extra, if only I had more money, or if only I had better relationships, or if only I had better understanding or more education, then my situation could change. But what God is clearly saying here is that he moves based on what you already have, not what you don't. And we need to ask ourselves the question, what do I already have in my possession? We need to ask, what skill, ability, or resource do I have that can now be miraculously multiplied with the touch of the Lord in my life and through some sort of creativity? Now, I want to make this clear. We're not just talking about people who are desperately in need as this woman who approached Elisha was. We're also talking about people who just with a general stewardship before God. In moments just like these, we all have to have a hustle in our faith to have true contentment. And even when things are stable in your environment, you need to look to metaphorically build an extension to the house. The woman was told to get empty vessels and not too few. What does that mean? It means that you can begin with the things in your world that were previously being neglected 
or underutilized. That's what those empty vessels were. Those were that were neglected and underutilized. In this time of the pandemic, you have to understand that everyone's adjusting. It's not just you. It's not just me. Everyone's adjusting to our new norm. And you should be asking yourself the question, what new innovation can you bring to your company, your business, your family, or to your relationships that will help them prosper and fulfill the purpose of God during this time? God has purpose in your work. You will be content when you feel like you've sought God for the benefit of those for whom, uh, with whom you serve and don't resign the people to whom you're attached to either slavery or obsolescence. Meaning there's no reason that this threat of the pandemic should decrease us, but when the people of God are involved and God is being called upon, God intervenes on our behalf as we make moves towards him, asking him for his miracle power. This is what the woman did in seeking out Elisha. We should have even gleaned some of the wisdom of even some of our secular poets, like Steve Martin, the famous comedian who said, in times like these, be so good that they can't ignore you. In times of trial, you want to have a miracle mentality. Uh, some of you are starting to watch the uh, Michael Jordan series. I know I am. And um, I think about his mentality when he was on the court, but and also uh, God rest his soul, Kobe Bryant, who just passed the Mamba mentality. But we need to have a miracle mentality. And the, when we look at the scripture, that miracle mentality came because it was only when each jar was full that the woman was instructed to set it aside. What does that mean for us? It means that we need to maximize every opportunity that we're given to its full, to its full potential to be content as a steward of that which we're given. God wants the oil of the Holy Spirit literally to touch everything he's entrusted to you. All of your time, all of your relationships, all of your resources, God wants the touch of the Holy Spirit on it and he wants it to be filled to the brim. But you need to be encouraged. You don't need to wait until we are out of this shelter in place or this the spread of this pandemic to approach God for things such as these. If we look back at 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 5, it said this, that so she, meaning the woman, went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. What's significant is that it was while the woman and her sons were shut in, locked away with God, that the miracle began to take place. It was when all the distractions were moved away. And really, they had a limitation to what they were able to do. And the focus brought an encounter with God that paved the way for the miracle. In fact, Pablo Picasso said this, the great artist, he said, without great solitude, no serious work is possible. Isn't that true? We're all dealing with the myth of multitasking. My wife and I talk about that a lot. But Picasso understood the great benefit of solitude. Now, if we have a miracle mentality, what I don't want us to miss in this passage is this, that when you maximize one opportunity, you need to go on to the next. In this instance with Elisha, the miracle reached its limit. Hear me now. The, um, the miracle reached its limit 
when the effort in gathering the jars in which to put the oil stopped. See, the oil kept flowing as long as the sons were putting jars in front of their mother. God was filling those jars with oil. But as soon as the jar production ended, so did the miracle. Don't let the limits of your effort limit the miracle of God. And if we have that mentality, then we can have great contentment in the midst of the hustle. What do I mean by that? Well, let's talk about it, several things. When will I be content is the question. Well, when we look at the scripture, number one, I understand that I will be content when I realize that I've done everything I can to see God move. That I'm not just waiting on my condition to change or for something to happen. The threat of the woman's sons being sold into slavery drove her to seek the word of the Lord. Number two, I will be content when I realize that I will be rewarded for my acts of faith, not just my wishing something would be different. And how often are we guilty of that? I want something to be different. I wish something were different, but I do nothing in my approach to God to see anything different happen. And the, <clears throat> what we see here is that the woman had to get into gear. She had to get into gear and actually do something to meet God in this situation. She had to humble herself, asking to borrow the jars from her neighbors to help her get a new oil business started. And all this is reflecting is what James the Apostle mentioned years, generations later in James chapter 2, verse 26. He said this, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And so when we understand this, we need to ask ourselves this question. What act of humility is God calling you to make for me to make? And if we're honest with ourselves, we have to ask this question. Am I too prideful to get help where I need it? Or too lazy? Are you too reserved for your miracle? Or will your lack of motivation keep you from your miracle? The truth is, is that God uses these types of provision to break us even as he advances us so that the glory can belong to him alone. In the end, so that we won't puff up with pride, it's a protection for us. This is what he was doing with the woman. It's what he does with us. Let's go on. I will be content when I realize that I will be judged according to my obedience, not my results. Now that's liberating for me that the woman couldn't produce the supernatural supply of oil herself. She needed God to move in response to her obedience. Now, this can be, if you're looking for an understanding of this, this can clearly be seen in the hustle. When we talk about hustle, the hustle that's expected in team sports. When you're playing a team sport, you're always looking for the good of the team and not just standing around. 
I remember just standing on the court and my coach had some choice words for me and told me I need to move to get open for the ball to be passed to me. And when you're hustling, you're readying yourself to contribute when the ball comes your way. You're constantly engaged, encouraging those who currently are making plays while looking to make plays of your own. See, it's not one or the other. You're always active in the hustle and you're content with where the results because you know you've done everything that you can in obedience to do your part. And what we see in this passage is that the woman was helped in this because she was able not to get isolated. And the great challenge for us during this shelter in place is uh, the challenge of isolation, but we're, we're encouraging you not to get isolated. And the jars were borrowed to create in the woman not dependency on people, but an interdependent lifestyle where she looked to God and his ways for her source of provision. That's the same thing that we need to do in the interdependence that God has in his body, in his church. And there was a man named Wendell Berry who was a, an eclectic man. He was an American novelist, poet, essayist, environmental activist, cultural critic, and farmer. <laughs> and he actually said this, that you're free when you realize you're willing to go the length that is necessary. You're actually free. See, this woman might have thought that she's becoming indebted to people, but she was only borrowing the jars. And what God's saying is you're going to be free when you are willing to have that mentality. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to see my miracle happen in God. Let's move on. I will be content when I realize that as I follow God's instructions, he will meet every need of mine according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That literally supernatural provision is released when I follow God's instructions. Not before that, but after that. For example, when I refrain from living beyond my means during this time, I continue to tithe and I continue to give to the things God tells me to give to, God takes care of my needs. When I obey the unction of the Holy Spirit to sow in times of famine, rather than eating my seed, just blowing it on whatever whim that I have, God supernaturally multiplies what I have in Him. But what we've got to understand in terms of contentment is that God-given needs must be the standard of our contentment. Not every desire is a God-given need. <laughs> in fact, some of the things that are mere desires are what get us into trouble in the first place. We don't know what caused the debt of the prophet. But as a result of following God's instructions, the woman was able to pay off her debts and to provide for her family with what remained. The moral of the story is, don't blow your stimulus check. <laughs> At the end of the day, God had the woman start a new business in the midst of her grief to overcome her tragedy. Her contentment would come from a new chapter starting in her life. However, you can imagine that this would be exhausting and you can imagine the mother thinking of the following when she was tempted to throw up her hands. She might say to herself, looking at this picture, I thought about quitting, but then I noticed who was watching. And who's watching us? It's our children. It's our loved ones. 
It's a world we've been testifying to, and it's Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And so as we understand contentment in the hustle, when we look to this line of the tribe of Judah, we can really understand hustle, not only in our personal life, but in the kingdom of God. How does it apply to the kingdom of God? We've got to ask ourselves this question. First, there has to be an understanding of the oil of the Holy Spirit. God uses that as an analogy, as a metaphor throughout the Bible. And we have to understand that God will fill you and me as often as we come to him to meet the needs of us personally and also those of our family. Second, God deals with debts that are owed. We all had a debt that we could not pay. Because of our rebellion against God, we were sold into slavery to sin and were headed for an eternity separated from God in hell. Jesus, the anointed one, full of the oil of the Holy Spirit, came with miracle power to pay our debts so that we might live by faith in the merits of his life, not our own. On the cross, Jesus ultimately paid the debt that all of us inherited. Sinful patterns of life passed down to us from our fathers. As we turn from our sin and self-sufficiency, we can put our trust in the fact that God not only forgives us, but calls us to his family business by the power, the oil, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So what now? Should we be content in the midst of this plague? And I'm only calling it a plague because it's a uh, biological um, impact that's spreading worldwide right now. And the answer to that is yes and no. We should be content that God cares and will meet our needs in the midst of this tragedy. That's where our contentment should lie. But we should not be content in regards to what we are to do. We need to apply the same hustle to kingdom activity as a woman did in seeing the oil jars filled. What do I mean by that? Well, plagues in the scripture represented death and judgment. The cross of Jesus Christ represented no less, as Jesus took the death and judgment that we all deserve. Now, God is calling people to the cross for the forgiveness of sins, even in the midst of this plague. God actually calls Christians and gives them an identity of being a royal priesthood. Peter the apostle, one of the followers of Jesus, said it this way in 1 Peter 2.9. Talking to the church, he said, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Well, if he's calling us priests, what did the priests of God do during times of plague? They were literally great intercessors who cried out to God for mercy and brought the sword to the people to end the source of the plagues. You can find that in places like Numbers 16 and Numbers 25. The word of God is called the sword of the spirit that cuts away sin and allows people to see the miracle hope found in the gospel. When our salvation is secure, meaning when we've received the payments for our debts offered by Jesus, 
God calls us to intercessory activity on behalf of debts owed by others. This is like the woman who took what she earned from the jars of oil to pay for what her deceased husband owed while also providing for the needs of her family who remained. The activity begins with prayer. There was a theologian and pastor named John Piper who spoke about prayer this way. He says, if we're going to be these priests who are great intercessors, we've got to understand the nature of prayer. And he said, God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of limitless provider. Just like the woman going continually, limitless provision with the oil jars. That's who God is. The one who gives the power gets the glory. Thus, prayer safeguards the supremacy of God in missions while linking us with endless grace for every need. There's a powerful understanding of prayer, and it's the very first thing that God has called his people, this royal priesthood too. But then intercessory activity in the hustle continues with sharing the gospel. While content with our own salvation, we need to hustle to make the most of every opportunity that people might meet Jesus and have their eternal debts paid. See, today we're in between Easter and the celebration of the second coming of Christ, which is our ever-present expectation and readiness as we wait for his return. And there is a great uh, biblical New Testament scholar and theologian named N.T. Wright, and he talked about how we're to posture ourselves in between the time of the first Easter and what we're to do awaiting his return. And he said this, that left to ourselves, we lapse into a kind of collusion with entropy, meaning uh, going from a state of order to disorder and nothingness, acquiescing in the general belief that things may be getting worse, but that there's nothing much we can do about them. And we are wrong. Our task in the present is to live as resurrection people in between Easter and the final day with our Christian life, corporate and individual, in both worship and mission, as a sign of the first, his resurrection, and a foretaste of the second, his ultimate return. So what does that mean when we're mixing faith with hustle for our true contentment? It means that the reality is, is that we see in the Bible, tough times hit both the righteous as well as the unrighteous. All the while, though, there's a divine solution for our present needs. The people of God are able to access a supernatural provision as they maintain contentment in the hustle, keeping their anchor in eternal things. So what are we to do? We're to be anchored in those eternal things. We're to mix our faith with hustle for true contentment 
and we're to apply our hustle not only to our personal lives, but also to our activity in the kingdom of God. And in doing so, God will be glorified as your needs are met and as you're used as a useful tool in his hand for the praise of Jesus Christ's glory. Some of you have been listening to this message and you're fully aware of the debt that there is in your account before Almighty God. You know the life you've lived and it's been full of things like immorality, cheating, stealing, adultery, drunkenness, and all types of things that you may be ashamed of. And the truth is, is that like this woman, you don't know how you're going to pay that debt. But the good news is that in Jesus Christ, God sent his only son to live the perfect life that you and I should have lived sinlessly. And then he went to that cross to pay the debt that you and I owe before almighty, holy, righteous God. But because he was innocent, three days later, he rose from the dead to not only give us forgiveness of sins, but give us an opportunity for new life in him today. And so if you realize this and you want to come into relationship with this miracle working God who can miraculously change your life today, would you pray this prayer with me? Father God, I realize that I'm a person who's been greatly indebted to you. And I know that I have no way to pay this debt on my own. But I thank you that you sent Jesus, your son, to live the life I should have lived and on the cross died the death I should have died. I believe, believe that three days later you raised him from the dead so that I could have not only forgiveness of sins, but new life and eternal life as I believe in him. I say today I'm done with that old life, the things that racked up this debt before you. And I'm asking you not only to forgive me, but to make me a new creation. I proclaim you, I confess you as my Lord today. You're in charge and I'm willing to follow all your instructions. Teach me to love you and follow you by faith, actively from this day forward in Jesus' name, amen. The truth is, is that if you've prayed that prayer, God says that you are a new creation in him. And now you have a great opportunity to learn how to walk out this new life. So if you would, I want you to go to secondcitychurch.com slash new life. There you can find both some resources and a link that allow you to give us your information, letting us know how we can serve you and come alongside of you in this new walk with God. We're so excited for you. God bless you. And let's go back into worship now.